0: If we can turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew, we're going to be reading a very common passage to many of us, Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. While we're turning there, if you could put up the picture of the group of people with the yellow flowers, I've worked in many churches over the last eight years that I've been back in Japan after I graduated from Bible school, and this is one of the churches that I've worked with the most. And this isn't all of the people in the church. Um, actually, this church is very multicultural. It's actually probably 60% African. We actually have a lot of African people in, in Tokyo, which is kind of shocking. But this is not all of the Japanese people that are in the church, but it's a good portion of them. As my wife mentioned, less than 1% of the people in Japan are any kind of a Christian. And that includes all faiths that believe in Jesus. So, of course, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, us, everyone Together, less than 1%. And so each of these people, except for maybe one or two individuals, are not only first-generation Pentecostal, but they're first-generation knowing anything about Jesus. Amen. But God knew who they were. Amen. And he's called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. He's set their feet on a sure foundation. He's washed their sins away and made them into brand-new creations. Amen. And they're part of the body of Christ and the family of God, just like we are tonight. Amen. And so we're so thankful for what God is doing in Japan. Amen. Why don't we all read these verses out loud together? Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. Let's read together. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I wonder if we could put our Bibles down and just lift our hands to heaven and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts tonight. Jesus, we give you everything that we are, we give you everything of our being, Lord. We ask that you would help us tonight, God. Help us to have ears that would be attentive. To your word, Lord. Help us to hear your word carefully and correctly, Lord. Help our hearts to be prepared to receive the seed of your word, Lord, that it may grow and produce fruit in our lives and be a blessing to you and to your kingdom, Lord. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise and the glory. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to us tonight for a few moments about Jesus' last Commandment. Jesus' last commandment. You see, Jesus began his ministry on this earth when he was about 30 years of age. Once Jesus' ministry began, it really didn't last all that long. It only lasted from about three to three and a half years of time. But when Jesus began his ministry, it really began with a boom. He began to travel from place to place, city to city, and village to village, and everywhere that he went, he changed people's lives in such a dramatic way. Everywhere that Jesus went, He would heal the sick. He would cast demons out of people, and people who, were, who came to Him who were, who were bound by things and battling things, He would set them at liberty. Jesus raised the dead back to life. He, he opened the blind eyes and He unstopped the deaf ears. Everywhere that Jesus went, people's lives were forever changed Because they had been with Jesus. But it's important that we understand tonight that Jesus' main purpose in coming to this earth was not just to change people's quality of life for this temporary life, but that he had an even greater purpose, and that was to change their eternal destiny. And so as Jesus traveled and and he did these wonderful miracles and changed their lives, he would also sit with the people and teach the people. The Bible tells us how he he taught the people using different parables and illustrations to tell them about the kingdom. The Bible also tells us that he gave the people commandments. One person counted them all up and, and found that there were 49 different commandments that Jesus gave over that three or three and a half year period of time. That averages out to about one new commandment every three weeks or so. I don't know about you, but I'm glad my pastor doesn't come up with a new rule every three weeks that i got to follow to be saved. But Jesus gave the people these commandments. The first commandment that Jesus gave to people was the command to repent, the command to give their lives to God and make a change in the direction that they're traveling in this life, to give their lives to him and say, Lord, you're going to be my master from here on out. I'm not just going to follow my heart but I want to follow your heart. That was his first commandment. Jesus followed that up by commanding the people to follow him. He commanded them to let their light shine before others. He commanded them to go the second mile when someone was asking them for help. He commanded them to love their enemies, to do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. I think it's safe to say that Jesus' commandments are not things that come to us naturally. I guess that's probably why Jesus gave them as commandments. He didn't give them to us as a suggestion and say, well, you know, one day if you feel like it, maybe you would consider. He just gave it to us as a commandment, not taking our feelings into account or how we feel about it or what we think about it, just leaving it up to us to obey Him and do the commandments. Jesus commanded them. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But He gave a promise when He said, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, when we obey this command and we put God first in our lives, we seek first His kingdom, we seek first His righteousness, He has promised that He will take care of every earthly need that we have. It doesn't matter whether it's a roof to sleep under or clothes to wear or food to eat. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. All these things shall be added unto you, he promised. Jesus traveled for three years and finally his ministry was coming to an end. He could feel in his, in his heart that it was time to turn to Jerusalem, and, and in so doing, the Bible tells us that he was also turning to the cross. Jesus went to the cross willingly. Jesus wasn't nailed to the cross for anything that he had done wrong. Jesus wasn't nailed to the cross for any debt that he had to repay. Matter of fact, when he was being examined, they found that there was no fault in him. The Bible tells us if he would have just given one word of testimony on his own behalf, that he could have gotten out of going to the cross But you see, the reason why he didn't open his mouth, he kept his mouth shut, was because he wasn't going to the cross for himself, but he was going to the cross for you, and he was going to the cross for me. He wasn't going to repay a debt that he owed, but he was going to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why Jesus went to the cross that day. It was for us. Jesus died on the cross an agonizing death. He was buried in the grave. But I'm so thankful that he didn't stay there for very long. But on the third day, the Bible tells us that he rose again and he's alive forevermore. Hallelujah. We don't serve a God who is dead. Oh, we serve a God who died, but we don't serve a God who is dead. We serve a God who is alive forevermore. We serve a God who rose with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. We serve a conquering Savior. Amen. And just like that, everything Jesus had come to this earth to do had been done. Everything he had had come to say had been said. The Bible tells us that he walked this earth for just 40 more days with his disciples, but the time had come for him to ascend into heaven. The Bible tells us how his disciples were gathered closely around him, and I'm sure they were listening closely, trying to get every word that he had for them in these last few moments that they had together. I'm I'm sure they were pressing as close to him as they could, maybe just to touch him one last time before he would ascend into heaven. As they were listening for Jesus' last words, they found that his final words to them were the words that we read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. They found that Jesus' last words were just one more commandment that he had for them. It was the command that he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Everybody said, In the name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know, for thousands of years in the Old Testament, people wonder what would the name be that salvation would come into this world through? What would the name of the Messiah be? But the Bible tells us in the New Testament that it is no longer a mystery. Because in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name in this earth that has the power to heal. There's only one name in this earth that has the power to deliver. There's only one name in this earth that has the power to save us. And it's the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We've got to be baptized in the name. Hallelujah. But the commandment doesn't stop there. Jesus continued on. He he said, you've got to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I guess that means that once they believe and once once they've been baptized and, and they've been saved, now it's our job to teach them the other 48 commandments that Jesus gave. But Jesus didn't stop with the commandment. But again, he gave a wonderful promise when he said, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I find it so fitting that, that Jesus begins the commandment by telling them, I want you to go. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go to every nation. And now at the end, he's promising them that when they go, when they step out from where they are to go to somebody else, when they step out from where they are to spread the gospel, that God is not sending them out alone, but he's calling them to go with them because he's not sending them alone, but he'll be right there with them. When we obey the command, God is with us. He promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, I know some days we wake up in the morning and we feel like we're alone. I know we wake up sometimes and think, there ain't a person in this world who knows what I'm going through. But there's somebody who knows because there's somebody who is with us. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise. I want us to consider tonight, though, Why did Jesus command them to go? Why did Jesus feel this was so important that this was what he felt he had to communicate to them in their final moments together? I'm sure if we were to talk about it tonight and kind of brainstorm and come up with different reasons, we could find a lot of different reasons, but there's just a couple I want to highlight to us tonight. The first is that for for three years or so, these men and women had come to Jesus Their lives were so different than before they met Him. And what Jesus was wanting them to understand was now that He was ascending, it wasn't His will for them to go home to where they had been when they met Jesus and say, well, praise God, we're healed. Praise God, we're delivered. Praise God, we're saved and then to just sit down on the pew and and do nothing else about it. But, But what Jesus was wanting them to understand is now that I'm ascending, now it's your turn to leave where you are and to go to somebody else. Now it's your turn to spread the gospel. Go to wherever there's somebody who hasn't experienced what you've experienced. Go to wherever there's somebody who hasn't had the opportunity that you've been given and let them know about me. Tell them about what I've done for you and tell them about what I want to do for them all. Also, tell them about me. Hallelujah. The second reason is very closely tied to the first one. And and that is that if somebody is not willing to go to where they are, and if somebody is not willing to tell them about Jesus, how can they ever know? How can they ever know about his goodness? How can they ever know about his power if somebody doesn't tell them? I think that's really what Paul was getting at in in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, when he said, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? I think what Paul's really trying to say here is this world is full of hurting people. Our towns are full of people who are who are looking for answers to the questions of this life. They're looking for something to take the pain away and bring peace to their hearts. They're willing to try just about anything. They're willing to try drugs. They're willing to try alcohol. They're willing to try relationships and entertainment, even just to escape the pain for a moment. But we know that none of those things bring any solutions. If anything, they just make the problems worse. But they're still willing to try. They're so desperate. But the thing is, we know the one that if only they knew to believe in him and if only they knew to call on his name, They could find peace in the midst of the storm. If only they knew the one who is the counselor, who has the answers to all of life's questions. If only they knew to call on him, they could find peace. But how can they call on him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they believe in him? How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear Without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Turn to your neighbor tonight and tell him, God wants you to have beautiful feet. Maybe you didn't know that God cares about what your feet look like. Maybe you're thinking, oh, no, I need to schedule a pedicure. But God wants each one of us to have beautiful feet. You know, I found it interesting when I was reading this scripture that Paul is talking about those who preach. I would think he would say, how beautiful are the voices of them that preach. But Paul never mentions their voices. But he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach. You know I find so much of the time that God will put a burning desire in our heart. To share the gospel with somebody. We'll be in the in the grocery store and see somebody and think. Oh if only they could know Jesus. Oh if only they could know what God has done in my life. I want to share my testimony with them so bad. And we'll even think or even pray. Lord have them come to me. Have them ask me about it. But the thing is, so much of the time, even if they were to see us and they were to wonder about why we're different or what God's done in our lives, they're not going to come and ask us. And so before we can use our voices to preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things to them, we've first got to be willing to have beautiful feet and to step out from where we are. Oh, I know the fears can come up in our mind. I know there can be doubts that arise in our minds, but we just need to push those to the side and say, I'm going to have beautiful feet. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I'm not going to let anything stop me from telling somebody about Jesus. I'm going to have beautiful feet so I can preach the gospel to somebody. Hallelujah. If we're ever going to preach, it's going to take us having the courage to have beautiful feet. I want to share a couple stories of some individuals in Japan with you this evening. The first one is Sister Yoshihara, and if we could go to the next picture. Sister Yoshihara was a very normal Japanese person, just living her very normal Japanese life. In Japan, the culture uh, is, is very much a group society, and, and they really uh, are very much against individualism. And so the best life a Japanese person can have is one that doesn't make too many waves and and isn't that noticed. And, And that's how Sister Yoshihara was. She was just fitting into society and going along happy. But when she was in her 50s, she began to realize that there was something very wrong in her body. She went to the doctor, but unfortunately by the time she went, there was a very dire diagnosis waiting for her. The doctors said, well, you have brain cancer, and you have a tumor in your brain that is so, so advanced, we only have one option of treatment left. They said, our only option is to perform surgery, and we must do it immediately. They said, because of where the tumor is and the size of it, we, we think we can save your life, but unfortunately, we'll also have to take out a large part of your brain with it. We can save your life, but but the surgery will leave you very weak and and very very disabled, and and you won't really be able to to even take care of yourself for most things, and and you really won't have have much left forward to left to look forward to in life. But at least you'll be alive. She thought, you know, I I guess that's the better alternative, and so she went forward with the surgery, and it turned out just like they said it would. They discharged her, sent her home. She was alive, but very weak. Just left to live out her days at home. But one night as she was sleeping, she had a dream. In this dream, she saw a street not very far from where she lived. She was very familiar with this street. And as she was looking at it, a voice spoke to her in the dream and said, if you will go to this street tomorrow morning, you will find what you're looking for, and you will find the answer to your needs. She woke up in the morning and thought, well, that's a really weird dream. I've never had a dream like that before. But then she started to wonder, I wonder if it could be true. And then she thought, you know, I I have nothing to lose. I'll just go see for myself. And so although it took her great effort, she was very weak. She got herself dressed and ready and headed out of her home to that street. When she got there, she hadn't walked more than about 100 feet down that street. When she she saw a, a building and there were people gathering there and And as they got out of their cars, she saw that there were people from all over the world. There were Japanese people, of course, but there were also African people and and Americans and and, uh, people from many different countries. And she thought, I wonder what's going on here. And they were dressed so nice in suits and they looked so beautiful. And she looked up at the sign and saw it was a church. It just so happened it was our church. And we were holding a weekend uh, regional conference there. And uh, she thought, I wonder what all these people are going to do inside this church. She'd never been in a church before. And uh, that was when one of our sisters who was serving as a greeter that day saw her standing not more than 20 feet from the front door of the church. She saw her standing there and just staring at everybody. and, And God spoke to her said, go talk to that lady. I don't know exactly what went through her mind that morning, but if she's anything like the rest of us, I, I'm sure she started to make some excuses. Oh, Lord, I, I'm busy right now. I got a job to do. I can't, I can't just leave my job. Lord, send somebody else. I think we've all tried that a time or two. It never works. <laughs> I don't know exactly what she thought, but all I know is eventually she yielded to the voice of the Lord and she walked the 20 feet to where Sister Yoshihara was standing. She greeted her and engaged her in conversation and Before long, she said, hey, I noticed you were kind of standing here watching. Do you want to come inside and be in church with us today? And she said, well, I'm not a Christian, so I can't come in, can I? And she said, well, of course you can. Everybody's welcome. And why don't we sit together? And she said, oh, that'd be nice. And so she came in and sat down. And I don't remember what the preacher preached that day, but I remember turning around and looking at where she was sitting And from the very beginning of the service to the very end, there were tears streaming down her cheeks as she felt the wonderful presence of God for the first time in her life. For the first time in her life, she heard the Word of God being preached. The dream that she had had, we didn't know anything about it yet, but the dream that she had had was a true dream. It was God trying to speak to her. God was wanting her to know, I've got something more for you in this life. I have hope beyond what the doctors can give you. Hallelujah. That day she heard the word of God being preached and she believed. She called on his name and she was baptized in Jesus name. And she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. God began to do a work in her life. That was just miraculous. Hallelujah. We were shocked when a few months later she could barely walk when we first met her. But she shocked us when a few months later she came to us and said, brother, Jason, I, well, actually, maybe she was talking to my dad. She might. As, I'll just say Brother Lucas. I don't remember if she was talking to me or my dad. Or, but she said, Brother Lucas, I was wondering, can I join the cleaning team? Our mouths just about hit the floor because she could barely walk when we first met her. But God had begun to heal her beyond what the doctor said was possible. God had given her strength in her body. And now she was wanting to use what God had given her to be a blessing to the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, but all of that was possible because somebody obeyed the command to go because somebody was sensitive to the voice of God because somebody was yielded to his voice when he said, I need someone to go and they stepped out in faith and obeyed and said, God, I'll go to her because somebody went. There was a soul that was added to the kingdom. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We have no idea so much of the time You know, when God calls us to go, we think God's calling on us to go do the work. We don't know that so much of the time he's already been hard at work. Maybe he's already done 98% of the work and now he's just calling us to walk the last 20 feet to where he has brought them to, to bring them on into his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we can go to the next picture, I just have just one more story. Brother Yokoyama, is one of the greatest men I've ever known. He's one of our national board members. He's the presbyter over the northern half of the nation of Japan for the Japan United Pentecostal Church. He's just one of the kindest people you could ever meet. It really is a miracle that he is where he is and he is who he is when you understand where he came from. You see, he also was not raised in church. His family was very devoutly Buddhist. And they taught him from a young age to kneel in front of the altar that was in their home and pray to the idol God that they had there. He said, I I never received an answer to any of my prayers. I never felt or saw any evidence that this God was real or if He was real, had any knowledge of me or that He was aware of me. But he said, still, I prayed every day hoping that just one time My God would hear my voice and he would answer my prayers. Never did I receive an answer. While he was still a young boy, his life became very difficult when his parents decided to get a divorce. When he would go to be with his dad, his dad became very abusive and and would beat him mercilessly and and would say the cruelest things to him, things you can never imagine a father saying to his own son. When he went to be with his mom, it it wasn't much better. She worked in a bar to to make ends meet, and the lifestyle that's associated with that was no place for a young boy to be. Finally, his parents both decided that neither of them even wanted him anymore. So they sent him to his grandparents' house. Thankfully, his grandparents were very good people, and they loved him and cared for him. But you can imagine the emotional wounds that that would leave on a young man of having been abandoned and rejected by his own parents. When he was in junior high or middle school, he began to contemplate taking his own life. He said he would come to the train tracks in the morning and see the train pass in front of him as he was walking to school. And he would wonder what it would be like to just step in front of that train and never have to go home to the pain that was waiting for him at home. When he was in high school, he began to drink alcohol. And by the time he was graduating, he was an alcoholic. And there was nothing that anybody could do to help him. His life was on a very fast downward spiral. Somehow, he was accepted into college. And for some reason, they selected him to be part of a foreign exchange student program. And uh, they brought him to the States. And, you know, usually when a Japanese young person comes to the States, they want to go to a a city that they've heard of or or somewhere that they've seen on a poster or, or in a movie or at least heard of. You know, somewhere like New York or Miami, L.A. or a big city like that. But that's not where they chose to put him. Of all the places that they could have put him, they put him in a small town in Idaho called Lewiston, Idaho. Not exactly the metropolis that a Japanese young person would want to go to to experience America. But that's where they put him. Recently, I was curious, and so I looked it up on TripAdvisor, and and, uh, just outside of the town, there is an absolutely... Beautiful, stunningly picturesque uh, river and a, and a canyon, river valley that runs just outside of town. And on TripAdvisor, the top nine things to do in the town are all associated with the river. There's kayaking on the river, canoeing on the river, camping next to the river. It's all river stuff. And the number 10 best thing to do in Lewiston is go to the library. And that's where they chose to put Brother Yokoyama. And so he was just going to class and he would come back and be in his dorm room. And one day he was he was thinking about his life and 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 the pain and the problems. And, and he was kind of absent-mindedly throwing darts at a dartboard as he was thinking. He said, as he was thinking, suddenly he noticed oh, three darts in a row hit the number 13. And to most of us Americans, that wouldn't really mean anything. It would just be kind of a coincidence. But Japanese people are very superstitious. And so numbers and, and sequences and things like that hold a great deal of meaning to them. And so he, he thought, oh, three darts in a, hit, in a row hit the number 13. The number 13 is the unlucky number in America. And in Japan, the unlucky number is the number four. And it's so unlucky, it's the number of death. And so they avoid it at all costs. And he, but that day he thought, this must be a sign from God. But then he thought, but it hit the American unlucky number. This must be a sign from the American God. And most Japanese people, if they know anything about Jesus, they think, you know, the Americans and the other countries, they have their God, we have our gods. It's all the same. It's just culture and it's all the same. There's no difference. Of course, we know that it's not all the same. And our God's not just the God of America, but He's the God of the universe, which He spoke into existence. But that day he thought, I wonder why this American God would want to give me a sign. And then he started to think, Who is this American God? And as he was just there wondering about this, he said the most incredible presence came into his dorm room. He said he had never felt anything like it before. He was completely puzzled by it because he had no idea what it was. He said, "But it was so kind and, and warm and comforting, and he wondered what it was. It felt so amazing. He thought, "You know, while I'm here in the States, I need to go to a, to a church and see what this Christian religion's all about." He talked to one of his roommates, and uh, he said, "Do you know of a church I can go to?" And it just so happened. His roommate was Pentecostal. It's amazing how God works those things out. And sometimes we think God puts us in a place by accident. But he talked to his roommate and said, do you know of a church I can go to? His roommate said, yes, you can go to church with me. They got up on Sunday and walked into that small church there in Lewiston, Idaho. But Yokoyama sat down in the back where he could observe everything. He said that morning as the people stood and the music began to play and people began to worship God, he said the same presence that had filled my dorm room when I was all alone just a few days before flooded into that church And for the first time, I realized there is a God. There is a God who is real. There is a God who hears our prayers. There is a God who knows about us and cares about us. Hallelujah. He was so moved by what he felt that morning when he heard about baptism in Jesus' name and he heard the appeal. He said, yes, I want to be baptized. He came forward and they baptized him in Jesus' name. He said, when he came out of the water, he said his heart was so filled with peace. He had never felt peace like this before. He said, it was peace. It was beyond my understanding. Of course, we know the Bible talks about the peace that passes understanding. He said, I didn't understand because my life was still the same. But I knew God was with me and I knew God would bring me through whatever I was facing. He was so excited that night he came back to service and And this time when everybody stood to worship God, he also stood. But he didn't know the songs they were singing, so he couldn't sing along. He didn't know how to pray a Christian prayer, so so he couldn't pray. But all he could do was just speak to God from his heart. And so he began to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me a sign when I was all alone in my dorm room. Thank you for washing my sins away and filling my heart with your peace. And as he just worshiped God from his heart, as he was standing there all alone, God filled him with the Holy Ghost and he began to worship God in a new language. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that when God called him in and said, I need somebody to go to this small town in Idaho and start a church, he didn't say, oh, God, why don't you send me to a bigger city or send me somewhere a little bit closer to where my family's from? But he said, yes, God, if you're calling me to go to this town to start a church, I'm your man. Lord, I will go. He went in faith, not knowing, just believing that God was going to do something, but not knowing that God would bring a hurting young man all the way from Japan to that small town to save him there in that church and then send him back to start a revival halfway around the world. We have no idea the impact that God is calling on us to make when he just calls us to go to the next place or to the next person. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could all stand tonight. Hallelujah. I believe God is talking to us tonight. He's wanting to remind us of his last commandment to go. But he wants us to know that as he commands us to go and as we respond, he's not calling us to go alone, but he's calling us to join the work that he's already been doing. He's not sending us out alone, but he's sending us to complete the work, to partner with him. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just lift our hands right now and just begin to talk to God tonight. Oh, hallelujah, he's wanting to use us in a mighty way. God's wanting to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Hallelujah, God's calling us tonight because there's somebody that He's wanting us to go to. I wonder who it may be in our town. I wonder who it may be in our neighborhood or at our job that God is already working in their heart. He's already working in their life. And maybe tomorrow morning when we go to work, we're going to feel that nudge to go to the one that He's already been working in. Hallelujah. Jesus, we give you ourselves tonight, Lord. We give you ourselves tonight, oh God. Lord, we yield yield ourselves to you, Jesus. Help us to be sensitive to your voice. Help us to hear your voice clearly when you're calling us to go. Lord, help us not to allow those, those voices of fear and doubt that would try to creep up in our heart when you're speaking to us. Help us not to listen to them. Help us to just push them to the side and say, Lord, if you're calling me to go, I'm going to have beautiful feet and I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, Lord, that you're going to do the work that I could never do. Lord, I'm just going to do my best to be obedient to you and I'm going to leave the rest up to you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I ask that you would lay a name on our heart right now. Let us be sensitive to your voice, God. Let us be in tune with your heart and what you're working in and where you are and what you're wanting to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to be sensitive, God, as we go about our work. Help us to be sensitive, God, as we go about our daily lives, Lord, with nothing else too high of a priority. That that would come before your call for us to go. Hallelujah, Jesus, we give ourselves to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to invite you tonight to step out from where you are and to come to the altar. If you want God to use you, maybe you need to be renewed in the spirit tonight. Now's a great time to do it. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. Now's a great time. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost just like Brother Yokoyama was. It doesn't even matter if it's your first time to ever be in church like it was for Brother Yokoyama, but God can fill you right now. Hallelujah. Maybe you're not where you need to be with God. You can get things right in just a moment. Oh, God is here tonight. God is wanting to do a work in us tonight so that He can work through us. To reach somebody else. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for healing us, for delivering us, for saving us, oh God. Thank you for the opportunity that, that somebody gave to us, Lord. Help us, oh God, to give the same opportunity to somebody else. Hallelujah! Oh, Hallelujah!